my Lord Jesus, you are high and lifted up, worthy of all of our praise. You were slain for us, for our sins, for our iniquities. Jesus, name above all names, for you, Lord, deserve all the honor, all the glory, all the victory, victory and majesty. For all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. You are exalted as head of all, and we worship and adore you. By your word, you instruct us to repent and seek our Father God's forgiveness. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your loving kindness. Your tender mercies blot out our transgressions. Wash us and cleanse us from sin. First John tells us if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First Thessalonians, we rejoice always. We pray without ceasing. In everything, we give thanks for this is the will of our Father God in Christ Jesus. Regardless of difficult seasons of our lives, Lord, you are sovereign. You will accomplish your purpose. Our joy is not based on our circumstances. It is based on our growing faith in you, Father God. And Revelations 21, our hope is certain, our future secure with eternity with you. Father, you are the great I am, the most high God, El Shaddai, All-Sufficient One, Adonai, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bring our requests and prayers, our intercession according to your will. You've taught us to pray, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 34, your eyes are on your children. Your ears hear our cry. We seek guidance, direction, wisdom, unity, Holy Spirit. The needs of our congregation, our church family are many. First Peter 5, we will cast all of our cares, all of our anxieties on you because you care for us. Isaiah 65, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Thank you for the answers you have already set into motion, Lord, long before we can see or discern results. First Peter 5.10 tells us that after we have suffered for a time, you will perfect, establish, strengthen us, and settle us. Father, we praise you for the miraculous release of Ken Elliott. Lord, after seven long years of captivity, you did not forget him. You did not forsake him in the darkest of conditions. You, Father, rescued him. Father, we thank you for the miracles you're bringing in Walter Carter's life. Talking better, more alert, 
engaging, even playful, gaining strength. Precious Jesus, Jehovah Rapha, you are the Lord that heals us. And we thank you for your healing touch for our families, Lord. Um, I want to pray for little Logan and his thumb. Pray for Jim Wells, Walter's sister, Alicia, for little Joshua Moyer after a surgery, Father, for Tara Jensen's dad and mom, and others who have had procedures done and are waiting for results. We, re we remember Father Vanessa Paluszczak, Tony Ramona's precious daughter in love, and their son Chris, for all that they need, supernatural strength, supernatural endurance, and rest, Lord, that you would magnify the few hours of rest that they give, Lord, and peace in the waiting as they care for her. Lord, for every caregiver in this room, we pray the same. As you wrap your loving arms around each family that needs your healing, Father, in closing, we thank you for our elders and our deacons and their families as they love and serve our church. Thank you for AJ, Pastor Jason. Father, thank you for Dr. Tim Cheney and the message that you've given him for us, your written word, as he brings a clear understanding of scripture to this body. In the power and the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen. Thank you for joining us. Let's have the kids be dismissed to their time of worship upstairs. A few things to tell you about the life of the church in the coming weeks. Um, first, I'll tell you that um, this evening, um, our youth ministry will have a, a hangout here at the church campus from 6 to 8, but we have no kids ministry tonight. If you're in a normal uh, Sunday morning life group, um, know that, um, just talk to your life group leaders. I don't know what all the decisions they made, but it's not necessarily a normal Sunday night as we start to move more into summer mode. Um, but the youth will have an event. The kids will not have an event this evening. Next Sunday is our Memorial Day picnic. And it's not on Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day weekend, guys, because it's actually on Sunday, which is why you will not come here next Sunday because this building will be empty next Sunday. Instead, we're going to go to People's Farm, which is in Ringgold. There, you should have a flyer that says has the Memorial Day picnic, has the address and a kind of simple map on there. We will meet there at 11 o'clock next Sunday morning. We will have a short service while we are there with some worship and a message from the Word, and then we will have lunch together, and then we'll just hang out. And so there's instructions on that flyer. The church will provide the, the chicken, the kind of the main dish. And then we're asking um, church families to, to supplement that with desserts and sides, that sort of thing. But please come. Uh, please come. And uh, we'd love to, to have any of you there. If you're, if you're a visitor this week and you've never been to this before and you don't know what to expect, just come. It's fun. You'll meet some people. You'll get connected. It's a great community-building, uh, fellowship-focused event. So we'd love for any of you to be there. Um, and that's 11 o'clock. Again, 11 o'clock next Sunday. Don't come here. Go there. Um, also, want to let you know that um, our offering um, this Sunday is going to be a little bit different <clears throat> than, the, than the offering we typically take up. 
Uh, whenever we meet together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is t- typically at the end of every month, but we're doing on the second to last Sunday at the month, why? Because where are we going to be next week? Not here, and so we're not doing the Lord's Supper and an offering next week. We're going to be at People's Farm. So, but with our offering, typically we take up an offering for our Samaritan ministry. Um, today, the offering that's going to follow the Lord's Supper, which we'll do at the end of the service, will focus on our Romania short-term mission trip. Uh, we have a team that will be going June 29th to July 13th. You've gotten some highlights from them along the way. We've done several fundraisers. We've got a couple more fundraisers coming the weekend of June 10th and 11th. We've got a car wash on June 10th. We've got a uh, spaghetti uh, supper or spaghetti lunch, I guess, after church on that Sunday morning, June 11th. Um, we can also, if any of you have some work to be done around your house, you want to hire a mission trip participant to do some work and give towards their, their trip, you can do that. We have a $30,000 total need. We've raised well more than half of that at this point, um, but we still have over $10,000 in need. And so um, please prayerfully consider, I'm setting that up now because at the end of the service, I want you to know that this offering is not going to our normal Samaritan fund the way we typically do it, but towards that short-term trip. And now to tell you a little bit more um, about the trip and just about the effects of a trip like this, um, Emi Kira is one of the Romanian pastors that we sponsor. He was in town this week because his son Emmanuel graduated from high school. Um, neither one of them are with us now this morning, uh, but we got a video of Emmy just talking a little bit about the trip and the effect that this trip will have in country in Romania. Thank you so much for uh, your willing to come back to Romania to have this camp and we are so glad and grateful for this partnership. I've seen a lot of uh, changes uh, since you've been in Romania. First of all, it's a thing of relationships. Mm-hmm. Relationships that go beyond the time frame we have yeah. uh, in the camp. So there are some people who really talk to each other mm-hmm. even now after so many years mm-hmm. uh, another th- and this is very good in the kingdom of God it's yeah. right but also uh, talking about the same bottle the same problem the same issues the human nature mm-hmm. is dealing with I've seen that uh, the world is actually so uh, seeing that you are fighting here and they are fighting there with the same problem uh, yeah not matter what your culture is that is a help and I also seen that uh, it's a better learning involved in those meetings not only because you have English you know, but this is a pl- plus too. But also because they come with their own background, and they, uh, you uh, share with them their fight. So better learning, uh, more relationships, understanding that the world is small and different culture doesn't uh, reduce the pressure of the world system so being here being there is the same fight we can pray for 
good friendships. Our youth are not so much in the church uh, during the day, during the week. So they will spend more time with other people that can influence them in a bad way. So making friends uh, that will help them to to live the faith in Jesus Christ. It's very critical for their, their age. You know, it's, it's crucial. And if they have friendship or friends who are uh, influence them in a bad way, that, that will make them uh, or reap what they saw. Second thing, I, um, I was thinking of uh, these days, uh, we can pray for uh, purity. Um, it's something that we get used with a uh, dirty word, and sometimes it's your decision or their decision to to see something or to go beyond the limit. So that would be a good way to pray for, for youth and for young generations. And also, I, I think they need to be more brave or courageous to share their faith in Christ. And they need to find the passion to be bold in doing what God is calling them to do. So no matter what their call is, they can be missionaries uh, in the marketplace. But there need to be a passion for doing that. It's, it's not coming naturally. So we can pray for friends, good friends. We can pray for um, passion. Pray for purity. All of these ingredients our young generation needs. So thank you again for your support. Thank you again for coming again this year. And may God bless you. So please continue to pray um, for the team, for their spiritual preparation and the practical considerations of, of finances. And as I said, at the end of the service today, we'll take up an offering specifically for that ministry. Um, before we go into, <clears throat> into Proverbs this morning, I want to give some added context to one of the things that Jeannie praised God for. Um, for several years now, our longest running prayer request um, at Fellowship Bible Church has been for one particular person named Ken Elliott. Um, on Friday, I was in a conversation with an involved, engaged church member that was asking me details because um, it was a church member that had been here for two years, maybe three, and didn't have the context of who is Ken Elliott, what's the connection, what, what, what exactly happened here. And so I'm going to take a few minutes, and I'm just going to build some context. In 1972, Ken and Jocelyn Elliott, an Australian couple, Ken, a medical doctor, they moved to Jibo in northern Burkina Faso to serve as medical missionaries. 
Ken Ben served for over 40 years, most of the time running the only medical clinic serving an area of over 2 million people, and the only medical clinic in the area. The people of Jiba would call him the doctor of the poor. And in, on January 15th of 2016, these, this Christian couple, Ken was 81 at the time, they were taken hostage by a group of, uh, of radical Islamists that took both Ken and Jocelyn hostage, along with some others, in a very um, a, a, a significant day across the country in Burkina Faso, January 15, 2016. And Jocelyn, his wife, Ken's wife, was released a month later. And then for seven years, over seven years, Ken has been held in captivity by this offshoot of Al-Qaeda in West Africa. Ken moved to Burkina Faso to preach the gospel to a Muslim people group over 50 years ago. Last year, in 2022, he celebrated his 50th anniversary since the time he, went, he moved into the mission field to preach the gospel to Muslims and to care for them physically through his medical training. Last year, he celebrated 50 years while in captivity. Um, over the last seven years, there have been long stretches, months of time, where there's been no word on where Ken is, what his well-being is, no information. As various governments have worked together to try to find him, and as churches literally all around the world have prayed for him. Every Wednesday night prayer meeting, every Monday night elders meeting, every Thursday morning elder prayer, we have a prayer sheet that we work through. It's the same sheet for all three meetings. And at the bottom of every one of those prayer sheets for seven years has been pray for Ken Elliott, who has remained in captivity since 2016. Maybe it's more real to me because in 2014 I was, I was in Burkina Faso. Most of you know our connection through John and Liz Joyce who ministered there for over 30 years. They have a personal connection to the Elliott family. They were very, very close, and they ministered in that city alongside the Elliots for a number of years. 2014, we took a group, <clears throat> which included, <clears throat> excuse me, included eight high schoolers, by the way. And because it included eight high schoolers, we were not able to go to Jibo. <clears throat> because in 2014, it was too dangerous to go to Jibo. But in 2016... This couple in their 80s were still ministering, still serving the Lord and still serving the people of Jibo, knowing full well how much risk they were under. And they did it for the sake of the kingdom of God. 2,600 days, more than that, Ken Elliott spent in captivity. And over those years, those 2,600 days, there were many of us that didn't know how to pray because we didn't know if he was alive. Do we pray for his release? Do we pray for him to maintain faith under constant pressure? Do we pray for his family to grieve because we should just give up and maybe he's just never coming home? But this is a day of celebration because after seven years, this prayer request that every single one of us have forgotten about at some point along the line, most all of us have prayed for him at some point over the seven years, but every single one of us at some point has just forgotten 
forgotten to ask the Lord for his protection and his favor over Cornelius. But I, I belabor the point to say that all around the room, we're a people that is populated with all sorts of unanswered prayers. And for some of the unanswered prayers represented in this room seven years is nothing compared to the loved one that you've been praying for for 20 years, for 30 years. But it's worth taking a moment and saying that after seven years of doubt, of wonder, of, of thinking, should we just give up in, in praying for him, that his faithful wife has continued to pray, and, and this week he was released. We need to continue to pray for the 99% of this people group that is still following Islam. And though there's been faithful gospel witness among this people group for over 50 years from Ken and Jocelyn Elliott, over 30 years from John and Liz Joyce, and there's a number of indigenous workers now that spread the gospel faithfully, we're still about 1%. But there is a gospel witness there. And though it is still very dangerous in northern Burkina, in the city of Jiba, where Ken and Jocelyn live, though it is dangerous all over the country, the kingdom of God is moving. And God has just answered an incredible prayer. And so we're going to take some time and we're going to praise God. So let's, let's pray together. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you because we know that this was an opportunity for us as feeble, broken humans to just give up. It was an opportunity for Ken to give up. It was an opportunity for Jocelyn to give up. It doesn't make any sense from a human standpoint why we would continue to persevere all those doubters in the world that doubt the effectiveness of prayer would very quickly and easily say, why do you pray? God's not listening. Why not just give up? But Father, you've shown yourself strong. And Father, we believe that this was not an act of human governments, but this was an act of God. That you have made a way for an 88-year-old man to be reunited with his wife, with his children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Father, I pray for Ken and Jocelyn right now. I pray that the reunion would be sweet. I pray that Ken's faith would be strong. I pray that Ken's health would be strong. And that, Father, however many days you have left for him on this earth, he could use them enjoying his family and praising you. As, Father, you have done mighty things. Father, I praise you that seven years ago, when Ken was taken into captivity, millions, millions of non-Christians grieved the loss of this faithful doctor and his ministry and his medical practice of care and concern in this area. And Father, there were people of all sorts of backgrounds calling out for his release, demonstrating the effect of a single life on a people, on a region, on a nation, and on a world. 
And as Christians from many continents have spent the, next, the last seven years praying for this man, Father, we rejoice. We rejoice in his release, but more than that, we rejoice in what you have done through him. 50 years of faithfulness, seven years of captivity, and now, Father, release and family. Father, may you remind every single one of us that you are listening at all times. God, I pray now specifically for this body that we would remember that you hear us. When it feels like the days are dark, when it feels like you're far off, when it feels like the, the needs of the world are too great, when it feels like it makes more sense to give up than to persevere in prayer, Father, I pray for those of us in our body that you would give us strength. That this act of you, this release, would remind us. It doesn't matter how many times we've prayed. It doesn't matter how many years we have gone on persevering in prayer. Father, you still move. You still act. So we are charged to continue. As the Apostle Paul tells us, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For that is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So God, today we rejoice. And today we persevere. And Father, help us. Show us what it means to pray without ceasing in all times. To give thanks to you for what you have done. In the circumstances that seem glorious like today. But also, Father, show us how we can remain faithful and give thanks even in the circumstances of great darkness, like for the last 2,600 days when we have not known the whereabouts of this man. Father, I pray for the young people in our church that are here right now hearing this, that they would think about how long seven years is. How, what, what, how old were they seven years ago? And remember, God, you answer prayers. Your timing is perfect. Your wisdom far surpasses ours. And so, God, when the world seems dark, and it does, give us the courage. So, God, we close this prayer time bold enough to pray big prayers, bold enough to pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done, bold enough to pray that the nations of this world would come to you and your kingdom would, would expand. Bold enough to pray that in this one particular people group in Burkina Faso, Father, that you would, that you would work through those that we know are sharing your gospel and sharing your truth. Father, that you would be the one that would empower them to go. May the gospel witnesses in in. Burkina Faso be all that much more bold because they've seen this man, this pillar of Christian faithfulness, be released by your power. May those in our country be more bold to pray for our nation to turn to, to pray for, for the cultural forces of our nation to be beat back by the expanding kingdom of God. As Emmy shared with us, every culture has its own battle against the, the world 
and against the cultures of evil that are moving in the world. It's happening in Burkina Faso, in Romania, and in the United States of America. And so, Father, in boldness, we pray that your kingdom would continue to expand because we know, Father, that you have the power to push back the forces of evil. And so, God, we want to be used in that. We want to be a part of what you are doing. We want to see with our own with our own spiritual eyes and physical eyes, that literally the gates of hell cannot withstand the expanse of your church. And so, Father, we call in humility for you to use us, for you to empower us, for you to embolden us to speak your truth and to spread your name and build your kingdom. Because, Father, we can walk out this morning with our faith restored, knowing we serve a God that came to earth to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to raise from the dead so that we could be made righteous and pure and so that the Son of God could sit at the right hand of the Father interceding for captives that were held captive for seven years. We know you hear our prayers and we praise you for hearing our prayer in this one circumstance. We praise you for the life and now the freedom of Kenevi. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, let's go to Proverbs now. We got some work to do. Um, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. We'll start there. It's already been an enriching service. I praise God for the opportunity to come and share his word to you. This is another word that is difficult in our cultural age. I say this every week now. Proverbs goes against the grain of culture, especially in this section. There are sections of Proverbs that are good worldly wisdom that, that just about anyone can respect and adapt that, uh, that hard work and responsibility are good things. The world can accept some of the book of Proverbs. But the book of Proverbs has a lot of things that the world just can't accept. And here's another one. Uh, because again, we're moving into a discussion of, of sexual sin and sexuality. Just a couple of weeks ago in Proverbs 5, Proverbs 5 was all about sexual sin and how we are, as God's followers, to live in wisdom and pursue Christ and keep from sexual sin. Now we have another opportunity to look at Proverbs, which is basically building off of the same point. The structure of Proverbs in this section, basically chapters 1 through 9, have a simple structure. You have a wise father giving direction to his son, young son on, here, son, you're just getting started in life. Here's the wisdom you need to know. It's a father training a son how to live life, how to live righteously, how to walk wisely. And so here we are again with this question of adultery, sexual sin, and generally sexuality. How does God want us to live with regard to our own sexuality? The world asks the question, why are Christians so concerned about what God says about sex and how God uh, restricts people in their sexuality and, and sexual behaviors? God cares deeply because God designed us 
God designed our physical bodies. God designed us to function in a certain way sexually. God designed us to function in relationships in a certain way. And God's design matters. Sometimes we as Christians do a better job of answering the what question. This is what we should do with relationships, marriage, sexuality, etc. Sometimes we can answer those questions. But sometimes where we fall short is answering the why question. Why does God care so much? Why, why does God, God care about the way I live my life, the way I pursue relationships, the way I express myself sexually? Why does God care about that? And the answer is found at the beginning. In Genesis, God created them male and female. In Genesis, God looked at the creation that he had made, and it was all good. And then God looked at the man and said, it is not good for man to be alone. And then God created a, a, the woman out of the man and said, this is the man's now reinforcement to add strength to strength, a helper suitable for him, or more literally, a reinforcement to give more strength where the man did not have enough strength so that together they could build a family. Together they could fill the earth and subdue it. Together they could lead in God's mission and ministry throughout his created world. And sin has destroyed that. And sin hits deep. And sin hits deep at the relationships that are most important. And so marriage and our sexuality, that's where sin hits deepest and hardest. And that's where, if you've looked around, the battles with our culture of what Scripture says versus cultural trends, that's where the battle is the most difficult. And so here we are, it was just three weeks ago or so that we were in Proverbs 5, and we had a whole sermon on what Proverbs says about sex. This is going to be a little bit of the same principles, but we're going to unpack it a little bit differently this morning. So I would refer all of you back. If you weren't here for a few weeks ago when we did Proverbs 5, go back, listen to Proverbs 5, and see God's design for us in our sexuality and what matters to God in sexual sin and sexual righteousness. Today I'm going to approach this by going pretty quickly through. We're going to read this passage, 620 to 727. Just so you guys know, there's like 45 verses in the passage this morning that I'm going to preach between Proverbs 6, uh, Proverbs 7, and some New Testament verses. So strap in, 46 verses, it's already 1124. It's going to be fine, I promise. <laughs> the, the structure for today, what sin costs you. In context, we'll talk specifically of sexual sin, but not just sexual sin. That's 620 through 635. What sin, how sin pursues you in Proverbs 7, and what Jesus does about it. Proverbs 6, 20. My son, keep your father's commandment, forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a light and the teaching, or the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not despise her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, and a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? 
Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor. His disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. This is what sin costs you. Specifically, the wise father, the author of Proverbs, is telling us, this is what sexual sin costs you, my young son. But it's not just sexual sin. This is what a life of pursuing sin costs you. There are repercussions. And the repercussions destroy your life, infect your soul, and do damage. But the first part of this passage starts with the good news. The good news is that God's command brings life. Look at what the proverb says to us in verse 20 and 23 of this passage. God's command brings life to us. Verse 23, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. That's why he says in verse 21, to bind it on your heart always. What he means by bind it on your heart, he means that remember the commands I have given you, remember the instructions I have laid out for you, bind them in such a way that they are close to your heart so that you know how to live your life in the midst of the inevitable challenges. Because there are challenges coming. So keep God's word close. Keep God's way close. Know what God's design is for your life, your relationships, your sexuality, and just your general pursuit of righteousness and responsibility and Christian character. Know it. You cannot live a godly life in Christ Jesus without knowing the pattern with which to follow. That's why so much of the New Testament teaching is focused on building maturity, not as a new law, not as do this or God will smite you, but it's because as Christians, we need a pattern. As those who have been saved by grace, who have repented of our sins, we need to know now what we must do. That's why the commandment is life-giving. God's instructions, many people interpret God's instructions as, uh, as abrasive, as controlling, as trying to put us down and be against us, behavior, manipulation. That's not what God's commands are. God's commands are light and life. I'm on a dark path. I don't know where to step next. I need God's command to bring light to that path so I know where to go. So this concept is so powerful and is a concept for Christians to pursue in their reading and understanding of all of scriptures, Old Testament to New Testament. God's commands bring life, not death. God's commands bring direction. Obviously, we know sin destroys, okay? So we need to know God's commands, when ignored, do lead to sin that destroys. Hell is real. We do get punished for our sins when we ignore those. And, but those of us that are in Christ, we have redemption. And so this passage says some hard things. But as it says the hard things, don't forget the beautiful life-giving thing. 
that for those that are in Christ, the commands that are given are life-giving. Their direction, their instruction in righteousness, their light for your path, and their life when you don't know where to go, when you don't know where to turn. Every single one of us, probably in this week. Let's just do a thought experiment here. Did you, at one point this week, have a situation that was so challenging, contentious, difficult, confusing, and you just thought, I don't even know what to do in response to this. I don't know how I should respond to this person. I don't know what I should do about this challenge. I don't know what I should do about this. You didn't have that situation in the last week. You've had it in the last few weeks. Every single one of us faces challenges where we come up against the wall and we think, God, I'm going to need some direction. That's why we read the book of Proverbs. Life-giving, light-shining. That's why we pursue God's commands. So keep them close to your heart. Tie them around your neck. Live in close relationship with the Word of God. But the bad news is, sin is there. Sin is there, and it wants you to follow it. Now, sin is personified, again, as a woman in this passage. Okay, That's what happens in the book of Proverbs. It makes people uncomfortable, but I'm just going to explain it again. You have a father writing to a young son. What do young sons care about? Women. And so, the path that he's asking his son to choose between is a path of the wise woman or the adulterous woman. And that's what he comes back to all through Proverbs 9. He paints a picture by personifying good and personifying evil. And so, as he talks about sexual sin in this passage, he's personifying the evil path, the wrong path, the sinful path, as an adulterous woman. But look at verse 26 and what he says. The price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Sexual sin seems cheap at first. That's what you think. This is cheap. This is not going to be that bad. But the married woman hunts down a precious life. Married life is precious. Adultery is cheap. Sin is cheap. Marriage and family are precious, worth hunting after, worth pursuing. There is a better result, a better reward from pursuing a life of preciousness. So God's word is not just about don't do this. God's word is about don't do this because this is better. Because married life is precious. Sexuality within a married relationship, within a covenantal marriage blessed by God, is good and right and beautiful, and God created it for our good. Not just to fill the earth, but for us to enjoy the life he gives us. Sex was God's idea. God created it. God knows what he's doing, so we should listen to his design for it. God's design is precious, where sin is cheap and destructive. Verse 27 tells us, How can a man carry fire next to his chest and not expect to be burned? How can a man walk on hot coals and not expect his feet to be burned? You play with fire, you get burned. You've heard that before, right? It's in the Bible. You play with fire, you get burned. And the illustration there, in chapter 5, we talked about sexual sin in chapter 5, the illustration was water. That water is both life-giving and destructive. 
and it's life-giving when it's, when it's flowing in a river, when it is contained in a well, and when it's flowing down the street, it's destructive and it can wa- wash away and destroy property. That's the illustration in Proverbs 5. Water is good when it's in the right context and destructive in another context. So fire burns and brings warmth and brings light and heat. It is a good thing. But you play with fire. You take fire out of the fireplace and you play with it. You're going to be burned. But isn't that the approach that many of us take towards the sin that so easily entangles us? That we think, well, I'm just going to come up against it, and then I'm going to, I'm going to fight. You know, I, I, I can, I know, I know that in this setting I might experience temptation, but it's okay. I'm just going to go right up to the limit, and I'm going to hold myself back, even though I'm right at the limit. No, he says, don't mess with sexual sin. If you know that you are prone to have a desire for pornography then get yourself out of the situation that could lead to it. If you know you have a propensity to be attracted to another person that's not your husband, not your wife, get yourself out of the circumstance. Put up safeguards. You know that you're prone to alcoholism. Keep yourself away from the risk that would put you in that situation. Run, not just from sin, but run from the context in which your sin would be easier. Don't play around with sin. Don't play around with behaviors that will lead towards you being burned. Because in verse 32, why? Because it leads to destruction. That's why he says the person that commits adultery, the person that is loose in their sexual behaviors, that person will ultimately be destroyed. Those are the consequences. Now, section 2, verse, or chapter 7, we're going to look at how sin pursues you, and we're going to wrap it up together. Chapter 7, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Notice the first three verses of this section that we started in, in chapter 6, verse 20, and Proverbs 7, verses 1 through 3, very similar. Listen up is basically the word. Listen up, hold my commandments close, hold the instructions of God close. You want them to be connected to your heart. You want them to be binded on your fingers, on your heart. You want to know what these words are. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call insight your intimate friend. Keep you from the forbidden woman and the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked through my lattice. I've seen among the simple... I have, seen, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight and the evening at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman who meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, she's loud and wayward, her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him, kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. Today I've paid my vows, so now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. 
With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. At once, all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. If it wasn't clear before, the path to sin leads to death. This is the way this teaching section in 20 through the end of uh, chapter 6 ends in death and destruction. Chapter 7 ends in death and destruction. Here's the, the principles of, of sin that pursues you. Uh, number one, verse seven. It sounds like he's talking really bad about the youth of his culture and day. Verse seven, he says, I have seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Here's what I want you to know about Proverbs. I hope it doesn't offend you. I've told most of you this before. I've said it several times. In Proverbs, we are the simple ones. Like, if we're not the guy writing the book, we're the simple ones, okay? That's how Proverbs works. We're all simple. Because if you haven't figured out God's wisdom in all ways, then you're simple, okay? And so he's saying, I have seen amongst humanity that some people, they just lack their sense. Recognize, when you come into the book of Proverbs, it's okay to admit you have a need. Some of us are bad at that. Some of us are really bad at admitting, I don't know everything. I can't do it on my own. I can't fix my own problems. But that's what Proverbs is there for, and that's what the gospel is there for. You don't figure out all of your problems. You don't have the power, the solution to all of the challenges that you face in life. You don't know how to live with wisdom in every circumstance. You need Jesus, the wonderful counselor. Jesus is wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Jesus is the answer to these questions and these pursuits. That, that's where we miss the book of Proverbs so often. We miss the fact that what this old covenant book, this Old Testament book that was written for the Jews of an ancient time, it is preparing for Jesus too. And it is preparing simple people that they have a need. Ancient Israelites, they had a need. 21st century Daltonians, we have a need. And so what the book of Proverbs wants to do for you is prepare you to see you have a need, you don't know all the paths to go in life, you need a wonderful counselor to direct you in the right path to maturity and to pursuing and honoring God. And in Proverbs, that directive, that how they were directed was through wisdom. For the 21st century church, how we are directed is through Jesus. And God knew by his Holy Spirit, as he was, he was inspiring the book of Proverbs through this wise father, that all throughout he was pointing to Jesus, preparing for Jesus. So here we are. Every single one of us is simple without Christ's wisdom. And every single one of us being pursued, being pursued by sin. In verse 10, you see the woman that is 
dressed as a prostitute widely apart. The Hebrew is actually fascinating there because the Hebrew says unguarded in dress and guarded in heart. It's kind of a juxtaposition there. That the prostitute wants to be unguarded from a physical outward appearance and that is the way sin is. Sin tricks you into thinking on the outside everything looks good, everything is beautiful, everything is alluring and on the inside it's empty and dead. That's what the phrase means. Unguarded in appearance. You can see everything physically. Guarded in heart, meaning I'm going to lure you in and trap you because in the heart there is emptiness. Sin pursues you. Sin sin seems enticing. In verse 18, the adulteress calls it love. We know it's not love. We know it's lust. We know it's just physical attraction. But, he, but she says, let us delight ourselves with love. Let us have our fill of love towards the morning. That is how sin tricks you and entices you until ultimately in verse 22. And it's not until verse 22, all of a sudden you recognize you're not just being pursued. You're being hunted. You've been trapped. Because sin has been crouching at the door. Sin has been trying to pursue you. And let me say this. Again, let's build a bridge between ancient Israel and 21st century Dalton. Uh, Sin was lurking at the door, trying to pursue, distract, and and move ancient Israelites off the path towards righteousness. And the fact that you are in Christ changes your eternal standing. It doesn't change the fact that the enemy wants to destroy you, wants to derail you. Sin wants to entice you. The enemy keeps attacking. Even though you are positionally in Christ, even though you are made righteous before Christ, even though there is nothing that the enemy can do to pull you out of Christ once you are in and been renewed, the enemy still tries, still tries to destroy you. Because if he can destroy you, if he can discourage you, you won't talk about Jesus. You won't have as much faith and boldness in the kingdom. You won't be able to tell others how beautiful and life-giving the way of Jesus is because you've been destroyed, you've been beat out, beat up, you've been distracted by the sin that you've been pursuing and hiding. Sin destroys. Sin cannot destroy a believer to the extent that you are now out of the family of Christ. But sin can do a lot of damage, a lot of damage to God's kingdom by dismantling the faith of believers by discouraging believers and causing believers to clam up or sit at home because the world's so broken, everything's so hard, I'm so discouraged. And that sin, that sin seeking to destroy us, sin treating us like an ox and leading us to slaughter, sin treating us like a stag caught in, with its foot caught in a trap, waiting for its, for its liver to be pierced with an arrow. We're simple without Christ's wisdom. Sin pursues us. Sin seems enticing, but it only seeks to pull you in until ultimately it destroys you. We have a real enemy in this life who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. Are we prepared? Jesus is. First John 1, what Jesus does about it. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. Here's the thing we have to talk about. This room is full of sexual sinners. This room is full of sinners in, in all, any number of categories. But anytime we talk about sexual sin, we have to remember that as much as this room is full of sexual sinners, this room is also full of people who have been sinned against. Who in their sin, by their own actions, some, by their own actions, are riddled with guilt and shame because of the, the paths of sin that they have pursued in the past. But then there are others that are riddled by guilt and shame, not because of their own actions, but because of their act, the actions of others. Sometimes that shame crushes even more. And sometimes there are people riddled by guilt and shame because of just things they've thought, things they've considered, things they've, they've wanted to pursue and, and haven't. And what 1 John 1, 9 says and the good news for all of us, this is what Jesus does about our sin. Jesus says you can be clean. You can be clean. You can be cleansed from everything. Every feeling of guilt, every feeling of shame, every feeling of temptation, every sin that you have committed, every sin that has been committed against you, every lustful thought, every angry word, every physical aggression, everything, Everything that has been kept in secret, locked behind closed doors, you can be cleansed. The Proverbs tell us that there's light in these commands. That light comes from God, and we know that Jesus is that light that comes through these commands. So Jesus takes a sinner, Jesus takes a sinner, and he calls him or her to confess. He takes that sinner, and he cleanses the sinner. He forgives the sinner. He carries that sinner out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Your position literally changes in an eternal sense. Kingdom of darkness, full of sin, then you're cleansed, you're forgiven, you're adopted into a family, and he carries you and he places you into a new kingdom of his life. And he asks now, that sinner, you and me, follow me. Follow me as I lead you into the light. And Proverbs is saying, this is what the light looks like. Don't, once you are free in Christ, pursue the darkness. Don't go back into the darkness. But fight against sin, pursue the light, because Jesus is moving and, and, and directing you. And the result is fellowship. That's what First John says. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. You want fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Walk in the light. So this is how sin destroys us, how sin pursues us, and what Jesus does about it. So as we go to the table this morning, I'll wrap it up just real simply. Number one, we prepare for sin. That's, that's the first point in our action steps. We prepare for sin. We assume that sin is going to come for us. Number two, we fight against sin. Again, I say, as a, as a believer in Christ, 
you do not assume that your sins, will, that your sin is now disappeared and you no longer have to wrestle against those same things simply because you are in Christ. No, 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 no. Your sin is still crouching at the door. Those old habits, the way that you once were, though you are clean in Christ, it is still coming for you. It is still seeking to destroy you. Assume that there's a temptation that's going to come to you the moment you walk out of this building today. What are you going to do? You're going to fight. You're going to fight. And the way we fight sin as believers is with a new affection, with a new desire, a whole category of new desires, of new wants, new loves, where we love the things of Jesus more than the things of the world. We love God more than we love our sin. And then the result of that is that we can, in fact, rest. Because this table, where we will all commune together this morning, this table represents a broken body and a shed blood. So I'm going to ask the band to join me, or ask the, the, those serving communion to join me. And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do here. We are going to come together, and we are going to consume a piece of bread, a piece of bread that, that Jesus tells us is his body. And as we consume this piece of bread, what Jesus tells us is, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this is literally how you live in the light. By taking the bread and consuming the bread. Taking the blood and consuming the blood. I'm going to ask you, if you're in this room and you have never accepted Jesus before, you have never confessed your sins and, say, and said, like I said earlier, I can't make it on my own, I can't solve my problems. Now is the time. I'm going to pray as we, as, as we deliver these elements to you. First the bread, I'm going to ask you to hold the bread and we'll, we'll consume it together. And then the juice, I'll ask you to hold it, we'll consume it together. But as these men go out and, and serve you, and as the song plays, Worship with us, hold the bread and juice until the end, like I said. But now's the time to give your life to Jesus, to respond to the urging of the Holy Spirit. Now's the time to renew your life with Christ. As I pray for you. Father, you truly have taken our sin and shame, and you placed it on Jesus. And as Jesus took it, made us righteous at the cross. Father, we now look and we see our outward behaviors still sometimes reflect our old lives. And we repent. Father, we corporately today, we confess our sins. We confess our sexual sins of lust. We confess our sins of arrogance. We confess our sins of anger, of mistrust in we confess our sins of jealousy. We confess the ways that we have fallen short of your glory. But as we confess, Father, we also praise you. We say praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus because in your great mercy, you've given us new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of your Son, Jesus. And now, Father, we have been given an inheritance that is imperishable that is unspoiled and unfading. So God, we praise you that you've kept this inheritance in heaven for us. And God, now, for those that have not received you in this room, 
cause them now to confess their sins to you. And may you bring new life. As they ask, Father, bring me new life. Make me pure. Make me clean. That I might receive your broken body and shed blood this morning. For those of us that believe, Father, give us fresh grace, fresh mercy through these elements. In Christ's name.
my sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. Oh, I praise God for what He's done. See again what He's done. What He's done. What He's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven, oh, I praise God for what he's done, I praise God for what he's now take the bread in your hand the first element that we receive as a part of the Lord's Supper is originally an element within the Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with his followers the night before going to the cross thousands of years before um, the people of Israel escaped out of captivity and this little cracker reminds us of unleavened bread that was made on that day as Jesus instructed his people to prepare unleavened bread so they could move quickly but also so that the unleavened bread would be unstained from the world as leaven represents the stain of the world little did they know in the Passover supper that Jesus the son of God would say this unleavened bread is my body, unstained by the world, righteous from all eternity, and now come to make those that have been stained by the world unstained, righteous in him. As we receive this, we remember we receive righteousness from the Son of God. Do this in remembrance of him. And now we take the cup, the blood of Jesus, shed for us one single sacrifice that is now remembered regularly by believers of, of the last 2,000 years. Every continent, many nations, and one day every nation, tongue, and tribe will share in the fellowship of Christ's blood. We anticipate that day when all will be made right in the world. And we live this day in light of the shed blood of Jesus for our righteousness in him. Do this in remembrance. Amen. And now, as I said earlier, we are going to receive an offering as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and recognize all that He has given to us and for us. It is proper and right to, in worship, give in response. And this offering specifically will go towards our Romania mission team where they will serve youth in Romania and youth in Ukraine as well. I forgot to say that earlier. It will be an offering that will serve young people in three different nations at the same time. 
the U.S., Romania, and Ukraine strengthen, encourage, and proclaim the gospel. Let me pray for this trip and this offering. Father, I pray for every one of the 70 or so Romanian students that will be participating in the camp that our team is making possible. I pray that the opportunity to go and be together, representatives from many different churches in Romania, joining together to think through how to live in challenging times and think and, and live from a biblical worldview. Father, I, prepare, I pray that you would prepare the Romanians and Americans that will be delivering the teaching. I pray that you would prepare the Romanian students and American students that will participate and serve alongside each other. I pray for those in Ukraine that have been displaced by the war and that as our team goes in to minister to them by taking supplies, but also by doing a camp for Ukrainian youth, Father, I pray that your kingdom would be built, that your name would be honored, that everyone that participates from any of those three nations would be encouraged and challenged in their faith in you. May you build your kingdom. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Hey, Tim. His mic's off. Jerry, would you come on up here for a second? Y'all can be seated just for a moment. Tim doesn't know what's happening. That's why he's all flustered at the moment. Thank you all for staying for just a few minutes. Uh, surprise! <laughs> Actually, actually, he had us out here about 12.02. We just hijacked this thing. Yeah, so since I know we're already running a little bit behind, we'll be quick. Um, thank you for staying. There's food, so if you'll stay a little bit longer, you can come in. There's free food in the back. You can grab something. Um, surprise. <laughs> uh, 
So Tim had said he didn't want to be a part of the graduation reception a couple weeks ago, so we just gave him his own. <laughs> because I'm 37 years old. That's right. Don't give it to So uh, I will say, Jerry is up here. Jerry was the chairman of the elders for the three years that Tim was working on this degree. This is Tim's dad, Mike. Um, and so his family is here. We wanted to celebrate what is done, <laughs> what is accomplished. Um, and so our family is here. Our church family is here. And we're just thankful to be done. <laughs> And not wanting to be up front, up here, and having that recognition. That's a, that's a wonderful, it's a beautiful attribute, a great character to not want to be the center of attention. But it is right to recognize his achievement, his work. It is a good thing. And so we won't necessarily celebrate you. We will celebrate what God is doing in his kingdom through you. And we'll celebrate your obedience to his calling in your life. And we look forward to what he's going to do with that. Um, the only other thing that I would say is that, as Jeff said, I, I did have the opportunity to be pretty close to Tim through this time. Uh, I cannot imagine what it would take to, to get a degree, a doctorate degree. I just can't, I can't even in my mind think about that. And the conversations that we had as he was going through this, and he went through some challenges. He started his uh, study within months of the pandemic. Within December 2019 was his yeah. first class. Okay. December or March 2020, he had his second class. He had registered for his right, right in the midst of all that. And through our building, self-destructing itself. Um, def defective candle. That's that's what happens. That's our new defective story. Candle. <laughs> but he maintained focus throughout that whole time, and I never heard a complaint, a single complaint, a, a any griping of wow, this is just this is making this really really challenging. He held strong to what he was called to do. And I admire him for that. Just need to let everybody know that. Yeah, so I think um, this verse, I read this in Proverbs. So I read this two days ago. Um, and you, well, you may have known. I don't know. You can tell me later. But <laughs> if this was happening. But um, I read this verse, and um, it is who I know you to be, and it's Proverbs 17, um, 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And Jerry is right in those three years of obstacle after obstacle. When we, I remember we sat at P.F. Chang's, and Tim brought up that he was ready to pursue the degree, and I felt ready too. So we knew that was kind of an indication that it was time. Uh, we, he went through the process. Things went, were pretty smooth. But then the whole time he pursued the degree, it was not, 
But, <laughs> um, but that verse to me speaks to his character through the last three years. And I'm just very thankful. So after today, we can move on. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> You have to be looking behind your back. What are they going to do? What are they doing? But, but for today, we want to take just a small time to recognize what you've done and celebrate with the people that we love the most. So, so everybody's invited to a reception right here in the cafe behind us right here right after we finish up here. Jerry and Tim's dad are going to pray over uh, Tim. Heavenly Father, uh, we just, we thank you. We know you are at work at all times. We know you're at work at Fellowship Bible Church. We're so thankful for what you're doing. We think, we're so thankful that long ago you had a plan for this church. You had a plan for the Cheney family to be with us. And we've been so blessed by your plans and what you're doing. Lord, we're so thankful that you have called Tim to this further education. Lord, we just know that you are going to use this to accomplish your plans and what you're doing in our community, in our state, in our country, and in all the nations. You're going to use Tim and your plans to share your goodness to this world and to spread the good news of the gospel to everyone. Father, we're here to celebrate. Father, we're here to celebrate a major accomplishment. And God, we first must thank you. Father, we thank you for Tim. We thank you for just working in his life all these years. Father, we thank you for his, um, Father, first, his salvation. Father, we thank you for his commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his love of your word. And we thank you for his commitment and diligence that uh, you have used him to accomplish this. God, it's appropriate that we celebrate it. Father, we also want to thank you for Jess. Lord, we know that um, this kind of accomplishment doesn't happen easily, that uh, it put a lot of pressure on Jess, put a lot of pressure on the family. And Father, we just want to thank you for Jess and the support that she has given Tim throughout this for the... Uh, wonderful, godly woman that she is and the great marriage that they have. And Father, we thank you for her and the support that she's given through this. Father, we thank you for the kids and Father, the great couple that they are and the way the kids have supported them. And Father, I also want to thank you for this church, the elders, the people here, um, just for supporting Tim throughout this entire journey. And Father, we do celebrate it and we do uh, give you honor for it. But Father, we celebrate most the fact that, God, you are at work in Tim's life. Father, we thank you for the man he's become. Thank you for the husband he's become and the father he's become. And we thank you for the pastor that he's become. And we know that that is your work. And Father, we also, as we look forward, we celebrate today, but we also look forward for the way that you're going to use him and his family for the days to come. Father, um, May this somehow just enable him to accomplish more, enable him to have a bigger impact on this church, on this community for your kingdom. May the gospel be spread in even a better and more special way. 
Father, on behalf of Kathy and I, we just want to say thank you. We love Tim, we love Jess, we love this family, and we thank you for the way you're working in his life. We are blessed for the family that you've given us, all our kids. We especially recognize Tim today. We are proud of him, and we love him, and we just give him to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wait. Fellowship family, recognize Dr. Timothy O'Dell Cheney, who will give you the final blessing of the day. Thank you all. You guys and you people too. Remain standing. Receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.